Welcome to the Digital Leaders Podcast. Today's guest is Gauri Yahaya, founder and CEO of Upskill Digital. He's a keynote speaker, digital skills and transformation specialist, and BAME leadership trainer. Hi, Gary, and welcome to the Digital Leaders Podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on it. So uh, let's start by t- tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. What is it that you're, you're involved in? Sure. So my name is Gory, Gory Yahaya. So I'm the founder and CEO of Upskill Digital, uh, and that's a, a leading digital transformation and training agency. We essentially create uh, and deliver human-centric digital skills programs. So helping companies help their, their teams and you know, adopt technology. Um, I myself am an entrepreneur. You know, founded about you know sort of three is my third startup so far. Um, you know, very keen on ensuring we get diversity inclusion in the workplace. So I do a lot of speaking, um, keynote speaker that speaks on the future of work, diversity, culture, and leadership mindset. Cool. So I'm interested. Well, so we're always interested in people's backgrounds. So you just mentioned sort of this is your third startup That's a business, but indeed. let's go right back. Tell us about your early influences and the journey, you know, sort of what was happening at home. Were your parents into tech and digital? Were they scientists? Sort of where did that early inspiration come from? And then a bit about your entrepreneurial journey. The early, early years um, really started when I sort of graduated uh, from chemistry, of all things. Um, my you know, family weren't you know, particular sort of uh, tech phobes or tech advocates. Um, you know, we've got a bit of an educational background within my family. Uh, father, grandfather used to be um, sort of, uh, teachers at schools within, uh, actually in, in Nigeria, of all places, and, and you know, in the UK, um, you know, my goal was to, I guess, study something that, that kind of brought me some passion. Really enough, chemistry was the thing that got me excited. Uh, from then, uh, I actually started to, to really dive a little bit of a detail off, off the chemistry route and jumped into experiential marketing. So my early years or early career years were spent working on large-scale kind of experiential programs with, yeah, I guess, brands like Samsung and Apple and a few other tech brands, which were focused on helping people adopt devices and technology into their lives and promoting new launches and whatnot. So that was really an interesting kind of early stage where I got to really understand how people adopted technology, which was a huge kind of early influence for myself. Um, I coupled that with some digital advertising background. So I used to work with an agency doing digital advertising. That actually led me to working close with Google, um, where I was helping them on programs to help upskill uh, you know, the UK and businesses across the country on technology that would help them grow their businesses, essentially. And that also includes charities as well. So it was interesting, actually, working with a, you know what is a very sort of super fast-growing tech company that was essentially empowering businesses with technology. You know, I found that there was a bit of a gap there with regards to these individuals or business owners really getting hands-on with it and having that personal and sort of relatable approach to platforms and tools that could actually help them grow and, and actually a, a building intimidation toward technology. You know, some businesses just felt, I'm not quite interested in this and it's, it's, it's past me and you know I don't know how to get hands on with it well enough and that's where I actually sort of found the gap now in between this journey as I mentioned I started a couple of startups one of which was around um, sports and fashion and actually building a technology to to buy products through 
through visual imagery. Uh, another was it was based on the kind of dining club that was based on a digital um, sort of social club. And, and, you know, both of those had me really dabble in essentially a tech play that would engage with people at, at large scale. Um, but the upskill digital route really was where I recognized that a lot of individuals and, and businesses across the UK were struggling to, to use technology well to grow, grow their companies. And, and, and that's where I figured there was really a, a really great opportunity to help people, really, really focus on people and help them adopt the tech uh, and, and do it with confidence and at scale. So that's actually where I started to sort of sort of build the idea and, and, and grow um, what essentially was, you know, my, my initial team of, of, of what I thought were probably the most charismatic trainers that I could find, which were individuals that absolutely loved training, loved education, but also wanted to help people really get hands on with it. Um, and, and that's where Upspedition was, was started. So we've just been sort of helping people on their journey and and really getting them to feel they can get hands-on with it. And, and, and on the other side of, of sort of working with Google, working on large-scale campaigns like Digital Garage and, and many others, um, you know, I, I have a sort of large part of me that's focused on inclusion. So I very much worked, um, you know, as, a, as an ambassador on programs to help digital inclusion, especially within sort of black communities and main communities as well. And, and that also led me to, you know, fortunately, um, with an invite to, to 10 Downing Street to talk about advancement and leadership within the digital space for particular communities. And, and I guess my, my journey, albeit quite eclectic, has, has led me to, to this point. And uh, fortunately, we're celebrating our fifth year, uh, you know, fifth year anniversary this year for Upskill. And yeah, super exciting so far. Fantastic. So there's, lot, there's quite a bit to unpack there. So let's start with experiential marketing. Is that, is that a product of digital transformation in the digital era or has that did that exist you know does is that something you could have told your parents you hope to do in the future when you were young or is it a relatively recent concept it's been around for a while but it, it's been around in different forms so essentially what, what experiential marketing is all about it's about being able to engage people around experiences um, whether it's relating to uh, them identifying how a product can change their lives or you know understanding how you know, they can, I guess, trigger different learning approaches through a, a journey or an activity or, or so on and so forth. So, you know, digital has helped that by, or, or kind of really enhanced that by providing you the ability to engage using things like VR and AR. And that obviously didn't exist in its current shape and form 20, 30, 40 years ago. So experiential marketing has, has really led to many brands being able to engage customers allow them to get hands-on with it using digital devices, uh, but at the same time, creating experiences that get them to learn about either the industry or the product or, or even just changing their behavioral mindset. So it could be things from escape rooms to, um, you know, to uh, VR experiences, AR experiences. And that, that was really where, uh, where I feel digital has actually really impacted the way, you know, marketing has, has tried to engage with individuals. Fantastic. You touched on inclusion, and at the same time, you've been an entrepreneur with three businesses, your, your current very successful business, Upskill Digital. What barriers or challenges or what needs to change to see uh, more diversity maybe in the entrepreneurial sector? I do believe the entrepreneurial um, kind of sector or, or, or access to being able to build successful businesses, you know, does have some clear barriers in, in, in place. And, and some of those barriers are being met um, with, you know, really amazing campaigns initiatives to support the, the growth and inspire more entrepreneurs within uh, from underrepresented backgrounds. 
initially when as an entrepreneur, one of, one of the big things you try to focus on is, is getting access to finance, for example. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, we, we, you know, I raised uh, for, for, for two of my businesses and, um, and in, in both those situations, my initial kind of investment pool that I was looking out for was, was, um, was not as diverse as I would have wanted them to be. And, you know, unfortunately, that does present barriers for certain individuals, you know, trying to get their ideas off the ground. And, and, and what's great is that you're suddenly finding, you know, a few um, sort of Asian investors and funds that are, that are primarily focused on supporting um, those from underrepresented groups um, to ensure that there is more diversity within um, from entrepreneurs to, to grow because the ambition is that uh, sometimes it's just the, the the path to you know to, to seeing this this through with funding is, is often is often not there so I, I i do feel that that we are we're progressing well you also find there's a lot of amazing startup founder groups connecting for diverse individuals um i'm part of one called ysys which is um you know helping a lot of founders you really connect and a lot of individuals within you know sort of startups actually you know share their ideas share their challenges you know share the barriers and also share their failures to help everybody kind of learn and, and, and grow together and feel more empowered brilliant so it's good. So you're able to kind of give back. And which which prime minister was interested? I mean, not wanting to, to put too much detail, <laughs> was, but which yes, which prime minister kind of invited you into number ten? Yeah. So this was actually during sort of Theresa May's reign. Um, you know, amongst everything else going on, uh, you know, we had some contacts which were which were looking to to support. Um, uh, black communities really getting the support they needed to advance and be ready for the fourth industrial revolution, right? So how do they ensure they have the right access to great training? They have, um, you know, good entrepreneurial um, uh, support. Uh, and, and that was actually where we were invited to kind of have a roundtable discussion about how the government can truly help us, um, you know, roll out some of our programs, essentially. And are you able to build any of this kind of unconscious bias and, and all these other issues into your training? Do you do that proactively? We do. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I, that I'm really focused on this year is, is advancement and leadership within the BAME community. Um, and, and to do that, we have to get people to, to also recognize what some of the unconscious biases do exist, but also how do you work around them to provide yourself a path to success, right? To know where you want to be and hopefully help, you know, people can help you along the way if they understand where you're trying to get to. Unconscious bias is one example of, of, of many, many challenges that we have to face as we provide people that that path to growth. And you know, it's 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 as I mentioned, one of many. You know, identifying what your cultural capital is, identifying um, you know how you can lead with power and influence. You know, making people recognize uh, the differences to really have shared growth. There are many different things to look at when you're looking at leadership. Uh, and actually, I think it's, it's, it's great to have, um, you know, we try to build training that basically helps us drive that way. So we will definitely come back to leadership as this is the Digital Leaders Podcast. But before mm -hmm. we do, what are you working on right now? What's, what's getting you out of bed in the morning? Well, there are a number of programs actually that that are getting us excited for 2020. Um, you know, one of the main ones are we're building a, a series of digital transformation programs for a few businesses and charities in the UK, which are driving adoption of digital tools with a, uh, an experiential approach. So we're trying to really shake up learning in a way that gets people excited and wants to make it stick uh, and, and break down that level of intimidation towards technology. You know, we're living in the space where 
Um, you know, many jobs require a certain level of reskilling over the next few years, and we want to ensure that we can we can transform businesses in a way that helps people feel that they are excited by the strategy ahead, and also get um, hands-on with the technologies to, to help them meet their own goals and boost their productivity. Um, we rolled out our AI for leaders masterclass. Um, so we are delivering sessions to a lot of C-suite individuals and, and leaders across the UK that you know helps them get hands-on with artificial intelligence, understand where governance needs to play in, how to you know lead with authority and speak with authority around the, the, the concept of artificial intelligence. Um, outside of this, of course, we still do our traditional training on, on Microsoft Teams and obviously Six Fives and many other programs that actually nowadays when it comes to collaboration tools are becoming much uh, much more necessary to ensure that people can be productive with those tools and, and keep driving forward. Again, not focusing on the tech, but really focusing on the people and, and kind of winning over their hearts and minds. Um, I mentioned before about the, the, the Bain leadership. So programs running out this year are very much around working closely with diversity inclusion teams to help lead um, their, to help push programs that, that, that target BAME individuals and organizations and give them support they need so that we can ensure that we have the right level of retention that you know many many um, companies are, are struggling with around BAME individuals in their organizations. So doing a bit on that and then I guess finally we have a program that is really engaging with um, employees around sort of volunteering space, which is, is going to be focused on sort of skill sharing. Uh, and that means that they can share their own skills from an organization with the wider community, which is a prototype we're going to be playing around with and launching perhaps later on later on this year. So a number of you know awesome initiatives in the pipeline. Um, I, the only final one we've got is we've launched a virtual academy, uh, which means we're helping a lot of organizations you know, build a series of webinar trainings to engage their employees, to to you know, feel like they can be, you know, ahead of the game with regards to you know the the industry they work in or or the tools that they're using. So our first one I think we're launching is called Future Ready Marketing. So for marketeers that are really looking to stay ahead of the game, we'll, we'll launch that this year too. So I guess the interesting thing in all of that is clearly you're working across different media mm -hmm. and mediums. So I and we've talked a bit with other guests on the podcast about this kind of natural learning mindset, I think that kind of leaders need this kind of willingness to, to learn and train and be curious and inquisitive and, and looking for, for new information. But is that now being positively impacted by all these new ways in which you can access learning with a virtual academy and headsets, as well as the traditional classroom? And is there still a place for a degree type you know two-year part-time course in all of this or do you do you think you know it needs to be this kind of real-time short learning that's highly relevant to the thing you're you're dealing with because if you go on a two-year course it'll be out of date by the time you get on it and definitely out of date by the time you finish it I just maybe some thoughts on that I do believe that there is a bit of a shake-up with regards to learning um, from the traditional establishments that do rely on the, the, the longer term three, four year degrees and how quickly the ground is shifting um, with regards to the, the need for these skills and, and how, how well the skills, skills are, are going to be adopted over that course of time. Um, you know, the reason you're seeing a lot of, um, I guess, you know, platforms like the Coursera's and LinkedIn Learnings and a lot of these online platforms sprout up is because people do appreciate some shorter bite-sized courses. Um, a lot of the courses that we run are anything from sort of half a day to a day to even sort of 90 minutes. And why? That's because a lot of people like to be able to get really hands-on with it in a, in a short space of time. 
Um, that might be over the course of a day, but when the classroom experience comes into it, they enjoy the you know flipped classroom approach where they're learning before they get there. They turn up there, they can ask the questions they need, and really get hands on with it in a practical, pretty much project based format. So um, there is a bit of a shift that's happening now. There are a few other um, you know programs that are popping up that are really providing much more shorter, intensive courses. It could be a three month long course that that you feel confident those skills will still be relevant by uh, by the end of the course. Um, you know, two years, depending on the course itself, if it's got, a, you know, a digital edge to it, um, you know, might be too long. If it's digital marketing, things shift quite quickly in two years. So you have to consider what is the, um, what are the skills that are needed now uh, and, and how do you ensure that the course really is adapting to, you know, the speed of change or the pace of change within that particular industry. So I think it's important that, you know, people are able to, you know, acknowledge that shorter courses might be more relevant and more appropriate for you know, certain industries and certain um, um, you know, verticals that, that, that you want to focus on. Um, but I, I do believe that, that, that there is a, a severe amount of disruption in, uh, in, in, in learning and, and the format by which people are doing so at the moment. So you're working with some pretty cool companies like Google, What's, what's next in that learning space? Do you, I mean, we had a salon the other day under Chatham House Rule, uh, so I can only really say I headed at the salon, but I ended up wearing a headset. I was in a, a real room with a panel in front of me. I had to present something to them, and based on uh, the speed at which I spoke, um, how I presented myself, uh, the algorithm kind of fed back saying, you know, I was thin on detail or I was, you know, I, I, my voice lacked confidence or, and this, this was a, a prototype being used with apprentices to help them present. And that just struck me as um, kind of like a whole step forward in terms of uh, training people sort of almost without the teacher needing to be there. So have you, you must in your business be thinking, gosh, what's coming up next that we need to be on top of? No, absolutely. Um, you know, we as an organization, are constantly looking at how we can leverage the power of technology to help us improve and innovate ourselves. Um, you know, we partner with a number of organizations that are rolling out VR learning and AR learning to ensure that they can get the right level of, of engagement with, with users. Now, we also look at scalability and to make sure that this can, this, this can happen at scale and the technology can work well for um, the outcome that you're looking to, to achieve. So in terms of um, what is the future of learning, I mean, it's a very broad thing and, and there are certain elements that, um, that, that we currently deliver with regards to face-to-face classroom-based learning that we know work well and people do resonate with very, very well. Um, and, and I don't see that going anywhere, anywhere too soon. So that face-to-face element is, is still something that a lot of individuals if you can get the scalable and just the scalability and the logistics right on delivery, it really can have a huge impact. But then having that blended approach, right? So making sure there is a seamless kind of blended approach to face-to-face leading the online learning. And then if you can have access to devices such as VR with the right technology in place that can also learn as you're learning um, or learn how you learn, then you know there is there is a, a future for it. I mean, I've been to a number of events recently and seen some pretty phenomenal um, advances in the in sort of the, 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 the ed tech space. Um, there's some really awesome platforms that can help you, uh, that can learn how you're learning and see what they can recommend to you as you are continuing along your journey. 
Um, but the engagement, I feel sometimes there is, it's, it's a bit lacking there. Currently, it's a bit lacking there because the technology we're quick to build, but to understand how we learn and how we like to engage with technology, um, you know, I, I still think there is a bit of a way to go to learn how, how much of this shifts because there are still very, very well established establishments that are you know, rolling out very simple, you know, three-year, four-year courses that, that, that will be here for the next 20, 30 years or so. It's just how we disrupt them is, is particularly interesting. So if I'm trying to answer your question about what is next in the learning space, you know, I couldn't say that you know, anything big is going to blow up because I'm not a mind reader there, but I do know that learning how people learn is one of the, the, the probably more um, conscious moves that people that are investing in edtech are looking at from an AI perspective to ensure that we can better lend the right kind of content to people that is exciting, that is in, um, you know, inspiring them to continuously learn. That is, that is a, a challenge that we have as individuals currently. That kind of neatly brings us on to leadership and digital leadership, I guess, as this is the, the Digital Leaders podcast. So, I mean, your particular specialism is teaching leaders to be better digital leaders or to give them a skill set. So are what are you teaching them? What you know? What what is that process that somebody who comes from a non-technical background, maybe a traditional industry, what are the kind of big challenges they've got to get to grips with? Well, if you're coming from a non-technical background and you are a leader and you're right, but you want to be able to embrace what you know, we're calling digital leadership, um, you first have got to consider you know how do I embody a mindset that really does embrace change and you know, understand that we're in an age of rampant disruption um, by technology in particular industries. We're seeing, you know, as I mentioned before, workplaces really shift below us and there's a sort of wire around automation. So there are heightened barriers um, to learning new technologies and, and whatnot. So embodying a mindset, a digital mindset, of how to, you know, learn how to embrace change and, and see how you can leverage technology um, to live a better digital life or be more productive or, or understand how you're working with it and, and, and not it's, it's, it's us versus the technology itself. So, you know, a lot of the training that we do, you know, we roll out programs around digital mindset. So understanding the trends that are affecting your industry, you know, looking at a, at, a, at a day in the life of yourself and how you engage with digital, you know, where do we find you get the most productivity out of it? Where do you find that you switch from intentional usage to unintentional usage? You know, how does that really work for you to really feel at one with the, with, with, the, with the technology that you that can really help you be more, more productive and, and, and live a better, more comfortable um, life and more confident life within the workplace? Um, you know, a lot of the training that we do, especially, you know, for leaders, is, is, is looking at, at the change in skills required for your role. Because I think there's a great stat last year, the World Economic Forum put out there that um, 54, I think 54% of all jobs will require reskilling in the next three years, which essentially means, you know, the, the hard skills that pretty much got you your role probably won't get you to where you want to go or get you that promotion. So you've got to really be considerate of what continuously continuous learning looks like, right? How can you, you know, identify the gaps that you have, understand the passions that you have, and try to help yourself by learning what might be necessary for your next role or how you can help your you in your role be at the forefront of, of, of change so you know the, the areas we look at it i mentioned before about sort of ai for leadership which is 
definitely one that, that, that's picking up a lot of speed and people are very excited about, you know, understanding the basics, understanding what sort of ethical leadership looks like around, around AI is particularly interesting. Um, but for those almost in any position or any level of leadership, you, know, you really need to understand how you can speak with authority around these tools and platforms, especially if you're building an inclusive environment for your digital product teams. Um, you, know, you want to empower those teams, you know, that might actually be serving uh, a diverse customer base, you know, to be able to think about their products with, um, you know, a broader mindset, you know, ensuring that we're being very inclusive in the way we approach this so that, you know, the products that we create don't, you know, limit access to anybody. Um, you know, ensuring that we can be comfortable with the way the world is moving, the way the digital age is progressing, the pace at which it's progression, progressing, sorry, and, you know, embrace this change with a mindset of continuous learning. So, you know, our courses really look at breaking that down and helping people get hands-on with change, um, helping you identify the gaps that you might have and, and feel comfortable moving forward in them. Does anybody embrace change? <laughs> I would, we all know that talking about it is so much easier than uh, dealing with it or, or experiencing it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, people don't like change. I mean, it's, 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 fairly, it's fairly embedded. We, 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 we like the comfortable um, environment that we've built for ourselves. We like to be an expert in the field that we've built without and hoping that, that that field may not change for a long time. But unfortunately, the reality is that the field that you're working in is changing. The skills that you need are changing and you need to be up to date with it because otherwise you'll feel like you're getting left behind. So, you know, breaking down that barrier of intimidation towards change, intimidation towards new technologies is the starting point. And then you have the mindset to be able to adopt, embrace and help all those around you also grow up with that too. And diversity, you, you talked about sort of diversity of thinking, but... Again, I think, you know, one of, it's, there's a great tradition, I think, in probably in older people that, myself included, that you kind of, you do tend to hire, you know, people that look like you, the people that talk and think like you, because that has traditionally been, uh, you know, a positive thing in reinforcing kind of, I guess, industrial revolution uh, type business models but now you you need this diversity and that's got to be challenging for leaders but great news for uh you know building inclusivity across the workforce what what a how does one bring uh diversity into a team how does one embrace it uh you know give it the space to to happen without jumping down its throat if it doesn't do or say what you expect it to do Sure. So a couple of things that people should be really aware of, and I, I think I'd start with this question um, by considering the recruitment process that a lot of teams take when trying to build that team for, um, you know, for, for a product build or whatever it might be. Um, you know, one of the mistakes sometimes people make is that they hire for um, culture fits. And unfortunately, un, you know, unconscious bias can, can really feed into that. Right, which is as you said, people thinking I want to hire like me because I'm more comfortable to have a discussion with someone that even looks like me or is from the same background as me, and so on and so forth. Except, what you do is completely limit the um, the diversity of thoughts that can come out of having people that don't look like you, that don't sound like you, that that you know perhaps don't come from the same environment as you, but but have the skills that that, that you need to be able to help build the products that you want to build. So, not hiring from sort of culture fit and looking more from the values. Fit perspective is probably a good starting point. So, you know, what are the values that you identify for the that 
for the team to ensure you can get the best out of them and, and making sure that you're hiring against that. Because then we can start to cut out some of the unconscious bias that, that exists within that process. You know, once you do fortunately have a team, uh, right, that, that, are, uh, that, is, that is diverse, it's ensuring that you're able to, to listen well, you know, understand their perspectives, you know, ensure that you, you have an environment where they all feel accepted, right, and included, which means, you know, you're all working towards a goal, right? You're working towards um, you know, either building a product or delivering a project or whatever it might be. So how do you ensure that everybody can feel included and feel like they can contribute to the same level as everybody else? And I always ask people to, you know, challenge their, themselves, challenge their own ignorances. You know, I think it's, it's you know, we, we can't say, we're, we are fortunate to be able to you know, travel through world culture and really, really understand, you know, other people's sort of backgrounds and whatnot, but you know, only get to do that by embracing them, listening and understanding, you know, kind of where they're coming from to help also slightly change your view on, on and perhaps even your input on, on certain situations. So I think that a good starting point is, is to create an environment that involves a lot of listening, um, a lot of kind of supportive sort of viewpoints from everybody else's, you know, background to make sure that we get all the ideas on the table that, that, are, that are as diverse as, as they can be. And I think that is a good starting point. We want to recruit people in. We don't heavily get, get a, you know, a diverse um, sort of community or group into, into the teams, but at the same time, you want to retain that and ensure people can actually bring not just their authentic self to the workplace, but actually allow them to be able to engage in a way that says, everybody wants to learn from everybody else, especially based on the background that they bring into the table. In terms of where you get that toolkit, I mean, just going full circle back to where we started, you, you were a chemist, you really enjoyed chemistry. Do you think there are elements of the way a chemist thinks and perceives problem solves, which is, which is incredibly helpful to you now in the role you're in? Naturally, the way I look at a lot of the problems that I solve, um, again, you know, well put with, with the elements that we typically play around with, you know, there are... When you're looking organically at how people engage with each other, right? There are certain, uh, it's really interesting to, to answer this, but there are certain reactions that can happen between individuals that need the right environment for them to be able to really click well and make sense and produce the outcome that you're really hoping for. So when I'm considering the, the, the problems that I'm trying to solve, perhaps my chemistry can lend itself best to being considerate of all the, the environments that help us achieve that outcome by bringing together perhaps the training that we deliver. So the learning environment that we create, the content delivered in a way that best feels comfortable for, you know, X element versus X element versus Y element to really bring together what is, you know, a, a, a great, yeah, a great outcome essentially. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great question. I, I do a lot of the natural thinking that I have that may have stemmed from my, my chemistry background. Um, but I do believe that there is something around the elements of, you know, reacting in their environment best, understand their environment best to be able to produce the best outcome you can. Fantastic. So um, we need to do our quick fire round, Gori, okay. uh, which our listener particularly enjoys. So let's start with the book that you would recommend to our listener. Hmm, interesting. So, I mean, I have uh, a favorite book that I like. It's a very personal one, but it has helped me along the way, which is actually called The Dice Man by Luke Weinhardt. Um, it's a short and very simple read, but it's an interesting story about a, a, you know, a guy who essentially lives his life by the world of a dice. And it taught me a hell of a lot with regards to you know, accepting failure, being able to take risks and take chances, and, and essentially a bit of that, that edge theory, 
which in learning is a very interesting one. Um, when you're, you know, they say you almost you know, learn best and adopt um, knowledge best when you're, when you're at the edge, right? When you're in a, in out of your comfort zone. Uh, and that's actually a great book to really get you to rethink how the kind of risk that you take in life. What a great choice. Uh, and you say it's not very long, which sounds very hopeful that I might read it. <laughs> it's a simple book. It's very easy, but it's just got it. And it's, it's, it's well written as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun one to read. Definitely. Fantastic. So you also get to have lunch with uh, an individual living or dead. Who's that going to be? Without a doubt, it's Trevor Noah. And he fortunately is living. Um, and he's very much you know, somebody that I would love to, to, to invite to lunch. I think you know, he's a really interesting, incredibly intellectual person that, that I think could help um, pose some interesting questions around lunch table. Um, I think personally, you know, I watch him a lot. I find him hilarious. He's, he's, a, he's a comedian, but, you know, finds a really great way to turn comedy, um, to use comedy to shape people's thoughts and help them, you know, change their, uh, you know, or, or, or reconsider their approach to certain issues that we deal with with uh in, in life and I, I think that's a, that's a really interesting way to approach um people you do it with humor so i think it'd be a fun lunch that does sound like a fun lunch so our last question is one thing about you that our listener would find surprising i would say one of the things that um that listeners might find surprising is that i'm a triathletes now i always kind of hesitate when i say that because there are those triathletes who are hardcore triathletes i'm probably more of a part-time traveling triathlete so i would um you know sort of back a year year or so ago i i I did three triathlons in five months in three different countries which for me you know is a little bit surprising um and was a hell of a lot of fun and the first of the three was my first ever of which i think i had to try and train within six weeks for so that would probably be the surprising um, thing. I uh, unfortunately had a, a bit of an accident last year and, and snapped my Achilles. So I've been off my feet and I'm now on a, um, as a, a rehab um, sort of program to try and get me to do another triathlon this year, which I'm hoping we'll do in a sunny country by the end of the year. So it's, uh, yeah, that would be something I think it is a little bit unusual. And the triathlon is the, the swimming, the cycling and the running? Indeed. Swimming, cycling, running. I did my first in London, which you do in the Thames, which is particularly pleasing. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long swim, it's a, it's a shift to a bike, and then it's a, it's a hard, grueling run to the end. Well, hats off to you for starting in the Thames. I hope one of these countries you've been to, it was a, it was a little warmer. Yeah, I would say Barcelona was probably the nicest and more most comfortable one. Great crowd, except we, we did it during they had the the, the uh, I think it was the, the Catalonian protests, which which caused a bit of a an interesting stir to the to the festivities. But yeah, definitely try and pick 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 warmer climates to make it much more more exciting. And are you doing this to kind of wind down, or is it so intense you can barely think of anything other than the thing you're doing in front of you? I think it's the latter. You know, with so many other projects that I mentioned that's going on, sometimes it's being able to concentrate on a particular goal. Um, and the triathlon helps me do that. So, you know, and it's the, it's the, the difference of disciplines and, and, you know, that you need, which is the swimming, which is a whole separate thing for the cycling and the running itself. So bringing those together allows you to be able to balance across the board, um, you know, your, your, your approach. Brilliant. A great moment to end. So, Gori, I, Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I'll just finish by saying thank you so much for being on the Digital Leaders Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing more of these. 
That is it for this episode of the Digital Leaders Podcast. Now, of course, we would love to know your thoughts. Tag us at at DigiLeaders and let us know. And if you want to find out more about today's guest, head on over to our website, digileaders.com forward slash podcast, and we have all that information there. That is it for this week. I'm your host, Robin Knowles. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back soon with another episode of the Digital Leaders Podcast.